Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. Uh, we are in the middle of a new series that we're calling Final Words. And I'm like, am I cutting in and out? All right, let's just stick with Beautiful. It's booming, booming. Great, great, great. Yeah? Wonderful. Um, yeah, wherever you find yourself in your journey of faith this morning, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, we say it every week, not sure about this whole Jesus thing, you are welcome here to consider uh, what this could actually mean in your story and uh, this person named Jesus that we are so madly in love with. Uh, so this morning we are, we're jumping into this series called Final Words. Last week we talked a little bit about what happens when you meet Jesus and this encounter with not just the idea of truth that we see, but truth and grace. And when we encounter truth and grace hand in hand, how that doesn't just lead us to a, desire, a feeling of shame or guilt, but it leads us to a place of, of transformation and of change and of a desire to pursue something that is beyond ourselves. We see that within stories within the Bible, within stories in our own lives, how when we meet Jesus, everything truly does change. And with that premise, with that idea of when we meet Jesus, everything changes, we, we are deciding to look at the final last seven statements of Jesus while or being crucified on the cross. Uh, as we lead into the Easter season, I think the words of Jesus can really reveal to us so much about who Jesus is and how that can impact our own lives. If you thought, well, if in that culture last week we, we saw Jesus interact with a Samaritan woman, and if that action was a dramatic countercultural push against the way that the marginalized were treated in that time type of action, then the phrase that we're going to consider this morning is perhaps the most unhuman-like phrase that you could possibly imagine in the circumstances that Jesus found himself. And so we're going to jump right into Luke chapter 23, uh, going from verses 32 to 38. You can follow along on the big screen in the sky, and it starts here saying, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. He is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. I find this passage of scripture fascinating because yes, it shows what Jesus was experiencing and saying in that moment. But it also shows what they also thought of Jesus. Even though they are mocking Jesus, even though they are quick to belittle him, they even recognize he saved others. Let him save himself. Even they couldn't deny the things that Jesus had done in his life. And here at the moment of Jesus' death, his words speak so deeply of what is actually taking place in his heart. So Father, we pray that your word would speak to us, that our eyes would be open, 
and that you would reveal yourself to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, what, are, what are the things that you do or that you have or routines that you implement that make you feel whole? Um, this doesn't have to be uh, a really deep question. A whole maybe makes it feel like there needs to be a deep, meaningful response. But if your pumpkin spice chai latte in November makes you feel whole, then that's part of your, that's part of your, your thing. That's, that's part of you. I know for myself, and this is something I recognize even more so since uh, moving into a different space with, with Adriana, is that uh, there are things in her routine that she would associate with what it means to feel whole. Quiet time. <laughs> time to herself. A clean home. <laughs> now... Some of those things I also associate as feeling whole, but maybe not to the same degree. So, like, when I leave the house, part of what makes me feel whole is I'm like, wallet, keys, cell phone, check. All right, I feel ready to go. Now, when I'm at home, that is not part of my, my wholeness, perhaps. Um, so I can be prone to just putting down one of those three essential items in the house. And then upon the moment where I am attempting to go somewhere and do something, wallet, keys, phone, check. I have no idea where I put them, but they're probably in the house somewhere. And thus begins the rapid search for wholeness in that moment as I am going through every step of the home. And our home is all of 550 square feet, so there's not that much to cover. But I still find myself having issues and finding exactly what needs to be found in that moment. So knowing that that is part of my routine, Adriana has decided to buy specific hooks to have for specific things in the house. So I know exactly where to put them. And then if she finds them, which is often, she puts them in those specific spots. And so she is participating in my wholeness. We have different things. And it's, it's, it's weird and it's odd. And, and it might seem silly, but to be honest, it makes me feel at ease. I feel like I have a sense of understanding of what, what life is going to feel like if I don't have my phone, like, on me, uh, you know that, that feeling that when you are out and you're like, keys good, wallet good, phone? It's like that, that pit in your stomach. I'm missing something. And then you start rapidly playing back the scenarios. Where would it have gone? What would you have done with it? Do you have different things like that in your life? Maybe everyone just got this scenario of, like, phone, keys, wallet, and... It's just like a deep thing that we feel as humanity now, thanks to Apple. Maybe we just feel this. But we have different things in our life that, that we associate, that we decide are part of what makes us feel whole on a consistent basis. But I, the, the, the thing that I want to talk about this morning is I think that we, we desire wholeness. Is that fair to say? We, we desire this sense of wholeness in, in what we do, how we think, our relationships, our interactions. We want it to be a, a, whole, a whole sense within everything that we do. And yet, even if, and yet with this understanding of this thing that we desire, we often do not actually implement healthy rhythms 
so that wholeness can take place. We, we actually just say, I want to be whole, and we don't participate in taking the necessary steps to actually make ourselves feel so. I did not buy those hooks. <laughs> I, I had every opportunity to, to organize and, and to put things accordingly, but yet, even though I knew I needed it, I knew I desired it, I knew it would actually contribute well to my psyche, it wasn't something I participated in immediately. And I think that's how we can actually be in life. That we know something that is good. We believe something that is good. But yet we do not participate in actually making that thing move forward in our life. And that thing we're talking about this morning is that sense of wholeness. When it comes to wholeness, and when it comes to what we're seeing here in in, in the story with Jesus and this idea of, of Christianity as a whole, one of the essential elements that is going to contribute to our sense of wholeness and sense of well-being is what Jesus says on the cross and what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's this idea of forgiveness. How I contend that forgiveness and wholeness are actually directly related. That we need to practice forgiveness in order to discover wholeness. And we need to practice forgiveness in the sense of receiving it. In showing forgiveness to our, ourselves and, and forgiving others around us. And in my opinion, these three acts are some of the most vital ways in which we can find health in our lives. And so Jesus is the ultimate forgiveness and we see it in this story in particular. Because we can agree, can we agree on something all together? That there are sometimes sermons and topics we talk about and you'll look across the aisle. Like so and so, that this, this sermon is for you in particular today. This sermon is for everyone. <laughs> we all got forgiveness issues. We've all got something that we need to process through in terms of forgiveness. Jesus on the cross. And, and Jesus in this, in this moment of immense vulnerability, immense hurt, immense pain, makes a statement that we would never associate with that moment. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and, and there's so much excitement and so much preparation around the coming of Jesus Word has spread about the things that he's done and the words that he said and, and the message that he's bringing of this kingdom that he's about to establish, that he wants to establish here on earth. And there's so much out in front of him. And then things don't go as perhaps people expected. And, and time progresses and they find themselves in an upper room and, and Jesus speaks of what is about to happen. And nobody really believes him. The people who have been with him all along, those disciples, they don't really believe that this is what's going to happen. Because it feels like there's so much expectation and excitement in this city. And then Jesus is, is arrested and, and they flee. And he's not really given a, a fair trial He's accused of things that he has not done. He's not 
provided a, a, a sense of actual justice in this whole scenario. And then the story progresses, and, and he's actually whipped with a cat of nine tails that rips shards of skin off of his back. He's, he's crowned with a crown of thorns that, that is slowly bleeding away at his skull. And, and atrocity after atrocity is committed against this innocent man. And then he has to carry this heavy wooden cross up to this mount. And, and he's placed upon this mount to his hands and into his feet. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. And it's not just. Nothing seems to be as it should be in this moment. And yet the response of Jesus is, Father, forgive them. This is completely opposite of anything that you and I would probably articulate in that moment. It's not just a physical pain he has been forced to endure. It's an emotional one of dissonance with the disciples that have been with him. With the father that he is discovering has turned his face away in that moment. There's, there's so much taking place that would actually lead him to feel so alone, so hurt, so separated from his, his calling, his purpose, but makes him whole. And yet his response is forgive them. Forgiveness is more than just a nice action that we take to reconcile a relationship. Forgiveness is a deep indicator of health and maturity and wholeness because forgiveness is the action of love. If, if we believe that God is love, then perhaps the greatest and most relevant an action of love, the expression of love is forgiveness. And Jesus shows that to us in this moment. And yet, we are a people, we are constantly prone to lean into the completely opposite side of that and find ourselves in places of offense and unforgiveness. And, and, I, and I talked about this a little bit last year, but in the space of unforgiveness, I think well, in particular, the one of the best superhero movies ever made, and you can fight me on this, is Man of Steel. All right? I love me some Superman. All right, all right. Keep it down over there. That's okay. Uh, Man of Steel. I have the microphone. Man of Steel is a great movie. <laughs> Superman is my favorite superhero because he has to consistently make the decision to not wreck everyone and chooses to operate within his strength and serve the I love me some Superman. I just saw like two, yes, I watch cartoon movies every once in a while. It's called Red Sun, and it's what happens when Superman becomes Russian. It's crazy. I know. The communist in the movie, I was, my mind was blown. Um, <laughs> I digress. Superman, really, really powerful, really, really strong. He's able to do things that are incredible. He's able to push down mountains and buildings and fly and do incredible things at super speed. And yet, there is a weakness that Superman has. And, and it's not something that 
if he has a lot of it in place, then, it, it, then it's going to stop him. It's, it's this thing called kryptonite. And if kryptonite is around Superman, even the slightest amount of kryptonite, then all of his abilities, which are so incredible, are not just limited, they're debilitated. And in many ways, I would contend that unforgiveness in our life, even if it is just slightly present, is like kryptonite to the supermen and women that are here today. That God has equipped you with incredible giftings and talents and purpose to shift the world. You are made in the image of God. But when we have unforgiveness in our lives, that is the most debilitating thing from us actually living into who we are designed to be. What happens with unforgiveness? It's all we think about. It's all we fixate upon. You might be thinking of all the great things and experiencing good things in your story, and yet there might just be one thought of unforgiveness that pours in and it kind of consumes your very being. Unforgiveness moves us away from that space of who God desires for us to be. And so forgiveness has the power to actually move us forward into who God has designed us to be in his image. And this moment for Jesus where he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. This wasn't just like... A, a, a momentary idea that Jesus was like, oh, this would be a great thing to say in this moment. I'm just going to put this out and it will probably be go throughout history and people get a good thing out of it. No, this is something that was who Jesus was. This wasn't just a moment. This was something that he consistently talks about and, and teaches about. He ta tells parables about forgiveness. He, he talks about the idea of forgiveness not being limited. And it's not just something that is an idea. It's in his very being. Because the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we see that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. So I am so sure that in Jesus' heart, in that very moment is not just the idea of forgiveness, but forgiveness itself. It wasn't just forgiveness, it was, it was love itself. Because love could compel us and compel him to think and to act and to respond in such a dramatically different way in that moment. So if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, it is going to be the way that we speak. And if we're carrying offense in our lives, it is going to be the language that we use. So maybe we need to flip that question in our brains and just how often is unforgiveness a part of the language? How often is offense part of the things? Do you do, do, you do that like Christian thing that we can do sometimes and be like, you know, ask Jimmy if we can, if we can pray about this, I just need this person's really strong now, really impacting me in this moment. Do you want to swap mics? Like I'm beatboxing. I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, um, 
That's, that's exactly what I said. When we are in that space of forgiveness and, and walking through this idea of offense. So if we have offense in our hearts, then it's going to lead to offense in our words. And we sometimes do this Christian thing. This is where I was. That we can be like, okay, I'm going to pray about something. And I'm going to go talk to Jimmy about it. That's where I was, Jimmy. And, and Jimmy will be just the person that we want to communicate how offended we are to. That we're actually looking for opportunities to communicate our sense of offense or unforgiveness. And I'm not saying that you do not need to have spaces where you're communicating in a healthy manner. But if the manner in which you are communicating is simply so that offense is your language, then I would contend that there is hurt in your heart that is undealt with. We are so quick to, to say, okay, I just need to shift my language. But it's often a heart issue. I need to forgive this person. But to say I forgive you is not always so simple. I can say I forgive you and still be dealing with unforgiveness. And then you're not helping anyone because they think that they're forgiven. You know that they're not forgiven. And then it's just awkward. And this is, this is one side of forgiveness, forgiving others. But how often do we even play the game of how do we forgive ourselves? Forgiving others can sometimes be an easier thing that we deal with than actually forgiving ourselves. Because we know every detail of what took place in that moment. It's not just an action, it's a thought. And it's the, it's the seed of that thought and what led us to that action. And we play out the scenario in our minds and we, we place so much upon ourselves that even just the idea of forgiving ourselves feels like it is unjust. But then it, it brings us back to the central place that forgiveness for others and forgiveness for yourselves is not so simple because we are actually incapable of showing that kind of love 100% of that time. The only source that we see and we can experience that kind of love is in the person of Jesus who in the most dramatic of moments showed the most exuberant and extravagant of side of forgiveness. Often our inability to forgive ourselves is because we have not received the forgiveness that we need from God. That it has to start there in our process of forgiveness. Because the, the Godship, the, the nature of God, of Jesus that is God is perhaps presented most clearly in this moment of vulnerability. We would expect that the Godship of Jesus is in those moments of power, of miracles, of feeding the 5,000, of incredible things taking place. But in this moment of immense vulnerability, of great pain, of sacrifice that was about to take place, Jesus exhibits who God has actually designed us to be, and that is a forgiver. When, when, when the Bible talks about that, you, he wants us to experience joy and peace. And, and we're, we're meant to be people who are serving and loving the world. I, I so wholeheartedly believe that it often just starts with saying that, Father, would you make me a forgiver? 
because I can't get off of my own stuff to actually pay about pay attention to anyone else. So would you make it possible for me to learn how to receive the forgiveness you have for me so that I can forgive myself and forgive others and then be that constant state. When the Bible talks about 77 times 7, it's not giving us a numerical number where that's the peak. Don't, don't push me past that number. Don't you dare. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's saying that you're going to forgive once and you're probably going to have to forgive again and again and again and again. And not because it's an action, but because it's an overflow. Because it's a response of a heart that is consumed with love. That's why in that moment, it wasn't a checkbox for Jesus that he's just going to forgive humanity in that moment. That was an overflow of a heart that was desperately in love with every single person that was a part of that story. Every single person. I want you to think about this. Pilate, who unjustly just washed his hands of the situation, that says, I'm going to try and get them to be placated, so I'm going to whip him and put a crown of thorns on him, and I hope that's enough. And Jesus is saying, forgive him. The disciples that were like, we're going to be with you till the end. We're your boys. Ain't nothing going to push us away. They got pushed away. <laughs> and they ran, and he was abandoned on his own. Peter, who says, I'm never going to deny you, denies Jesus three times. I forgive. Forgive them. Forgive Peter. Forgive the disciples. Forgive Pilate. For, for the Sanhedrin that were accusing him of the most awful of things, simply to turn the people against him, communicating lies and forcing him to be in that space, in that moment, forgive them. For the soldiers that were nailing his hands and his feet to the cross, forgive them. It's, it, it, this, this passage is so fascinating to me because everything is happening around him. He's got, the, he's got the criminals on either side of him. And he says, Father, forgive them. And it doesn't even like linger long in that moment. It says the heavens opened up and Jesus looked up and God said, yeah, I got them. There's nothing dramatic in this moment. Jesus says, forgive them. And then what do they do? They start casting lots for his tunic. Immediately. As if his forgiveness didn't actually mean anything to them. And here's the thing about forgiveness that we often misinterpret. Forgiveness does not require an admission of guilt. Nobody in that picture is admitting to Jesus, we got it wrong. <laughs> and Jesus is like, okay, forgive you. How often are we holding on to unforgiveness and hurt and offense in our hearts because we are waiting for someone to admit that they were wrong? Forgiveness has a foundation of love. Offense has a foundation of being right. It's where you choose to find your identity that is going to be the response of your life. Jesus had 
his identity in love and therefore his response was forgiveness. But I can be so prone to having my identity and being right and then be so quick to offense. And when offense finds a foothold in our lives, it can be one of the most all-consuming and distracting things in the pursuit of the things that I believe God wants for my life and for your life. So we wait for people to, to admit their guilt and we find our, our, our identity in being right along the way. And then we think that forgiveness is actually saying, it's actually allowing their actions to be okay. That, that it's just making their wrong acts all right. But that's not what forgiveness is doing. And neither is forgiveness actually the same as trust. I think we, we, we make the wrong connection there. When we're invited to forgive someone, it's actually not saying to trust them. Have you ever heard that statement before or, or made it yourself? I can't forgive them because I don't trust them. Well, that's not the call of forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't choosing to, to trust them. Forgiveness is choosing your own personal freedom. We, we need to be a people that are aware that we are designed in the image of God. And in the image of God, in the most dramatic and hurtful of moments, the response was forgiveness. Because the heart was love. So if pure love is the source, then unconditional forgiveness is the action. And that's what we see in Jesus. I think there's an invitation That Jesus gives in that moment of saying, Father, forgive them. He's saying, if you're going to choose to follow me, then this needs to be our response in our own stories. To see the example of Jesus and being like, hey, that's good, good work, <laughs> good job. Um, power to you. Can't, can't do it today. There's grace for that. There's grace in moments where we don't have the ability to forgive. But there's also an invitation to discover the fullness of life and discover that wholeness that we all desire. That the unforgiveness is actually preventing you from experiencing. Are you able to forgive others? Are you able to forgive yourself? And do we receive this gift of forgiveness from God and make that our identity instead of being right or the offense that we're carrying? Jesus shows us a different way. It's so against any of the ideas and concepts that we see today. That we have built unhealthy rhythms and habits of how we pursue wholeness. I think more often we're just pursuing rightness. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to be right. And then we find it so unsatisfactory because the real desire of our heart is not to be right, it's to be whole. 
And forgiveness needs to be ahead of being right to lead us to that place of being whole. Worship team, you can join me at the front. I am so infatuated and overwhelmed by Jesus in stories like this. The miracles that we see are, are incredible. Yes. The words that he, he teaches us, meaningful and important. Yes. But to see the response of Jesus in circumstances that make no sense makes me believe that we have an opportunity to be more than what we are right now. What would forgiveness look like in your life? I would invite you to do this. Can everyone just close your eyes for a quick second? Like I said, I don't think that this is a sermon that's just for the guy across the row. I think this is for everyone. That we all have unforgiveness in our heart, whether it's towards someone or within yourself. When you hear the word unforgiveness, is there someone that comes to your mind or is it simply something that you are carrying within yourself? And I'm just going to leave a moment of silence here for just everyone to think. Where do we need to direct our hearts? What is holding us back within our hearts from actually showing forgiveness so that we can discover wholeness? And the call isn't to just forgive someone this morning because it's not supposed to be just a one-time act. The call is to become a forgiver. Someone who is constantly making the choice out of the overflow of love in their heart to forgive those who hurt them, who hurt others, and as we hurt ourselves. Can we be a forgiven people who show forgiveness. Not because it is the right thing to do, but because it is an overflow of a heart that has discovered that they are unconditionally loved. That our strength and our authority and our power is not found in our will or in our desire, but upon our surrender to Jesus and the choice we make to follow him make your ways our ways make your thoughts our thoughts make your heart our heart so we're going to sing a song together but as, as we're singing I would invite you would you call to mind that, that situation in your life that there is deep hurts and unforgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is not an admission of guilt. Forgiveness is not about being right. 
Forgiveness is about finding our identity in love, and God is love. So finding our identity in the person of Jesus. To follow his ways, to follow his lead. And when it makes no sense, we choose to forgive. But bring that to your mind and just offer it to God. It doesn't have to be a dramatic moment. It can just simply be, God, would I invite you into this hurt? Would you, would you start to heal it? While the song is going on, we're going to have a prayer team on either side that are just going to be available. And I would invite you, come, come and have someone stand with you, to pray with you. This is, this is a moment where church is not simply a space that we say nice things and have good ideas. But it's an opportunity to encounter a living God who invites us into real transformation. So Father, we just pray for the, every single person in this place that you place, place boldness in our hearts to, to bring all that we are carrying to the forefront of our minds right now and offering it to you, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, knowing that in your hands we find ourselves to be most safe. So for the hurts in the room that are associated with family, Father, I just pray that you would provide immense healing. For the unforgiveness in our hearts that are associated with relationships from, from the past, from in the present, that we are holding over ourselves, I pray that there is freedom. For the offenses that are being carried over words spoken, that these words are so long ago or have just been spoken in conversation, but yet have taken such a deep root in our hearts, I pray, Father, that you would release us from that bondage. And that we find freedom. Let this morning, let this space be a place of freedom as we sing. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen.